What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Backmarker Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Today's topics will be covering everything from IMSA, MotoGP, and Formula One. First off, we'll start with the MotoGP news. Um, for the most part, all this stuff is going to be kind of live read, live reaction, kind of, um, except for the IMSA topic because that broke, um, that was that was reported last week and I've already kind of made a few posts about it on, on my Instagram page. Um, so that one, I've had some time to stew on it, um, but yeah, everything else will be kind of live reaction, live read. So let's get started. Uh, first up, MotoGP. Uh, this one coming from motorsport.com. Rossi focusing more effort on Morbidelli than rest of VR46 Academy. Um, it's been reported that is said to be focusing 60% of his time with Franco and 40% on the rest of VR46 Academy. Um, I I can see why he's doing that. I, I think a lot of us can see why he's doing that because Franco... On that Yamaha is absolutely on the front seat of that struggle bus. Um, just I'm pulling up his his statistics right now. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, I mean his his average finish. <laughs> I'm sorry, his average finish is 13th um, for last year. Not any better. In all honesty, that's his second. That's his second worst out of the three years. Twenty twenty one was um, actually. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, twenty twenty one. He spent it with Petronas and then got promoted to uh, Monster Energy, um, where I guess in collectively, if you look at it, because with Monster Energy, he was almost his average finish was fifteen point eight, uh, but with Petronas uh, in twenty twenty one. For those eight races, he was twelfth. Um, so yeah, that probably equates out to around thirteenth if you do the math, or maybe even a little bit worse. Um, but he has shown he has yeah he has shown potential. Uh, the year before, in twenty twenty, he was second in the world championships. Um, so there there is there is something there. Now whether that's on now whether that's because Yamaha is holding him down, or it's because he it's it's due to the pressures of being with the factory team, who knows? Um, but you know, obviously it's Rossi's call who he wants to focus his time focus more of his time on. Um, I think Franco he deserves that. He deserves that sixty percent. Um, just because of his situation. We all know the Yamaha's not the best bike on the grid, um, and Lynn Jarvis isn't the best team boss on the grid. Uh, Rossi knows those Rossi knows the team better than anybody. Uh, whether he knows the bike, that's that remains to be seen. But if if Rossi if Franco doesn't improve this year, even with Rossi's tutelage, um it's going to be very, very hard for him to have anything better than a satellite Moto2 seat next year. I don't see anybody picking him up, um, moving anybody for him. 
But if he does have a great year, then he'll, he might stay with Yamaha um, on the factory team or someone else might pick him up. But reading this article, it seems like this is going to be the make or break year for Franco, um, a.k.a. Dominic Toretto with his new shaved haircut look. Um, so, yeah, and I'm just reading it. He signed a tier con- he signed a tier contract with Yamaha, Yamaha in 2021, so this this is his contract year. Um, and last month, Motorsport.com revealed that Yamaha had been in contact with Moto2 race winner Alonso Lopez as a prospect for the potential satellite squad. Um, so, yeah, it's going to – Franco is on the hot seat. And Rossi sees that, and Rossi is trying to do whatever, trying to do what he can for um, his VR46 Academy rider, which that's his right. And honestly, I I I agree with that. I agree. I agree with him doing it, because um, I th- I think Franco's a good rider. I'm not sure how good of a rider he is because all he's been on in MotoGP is the Yamaha, and we all know the Yamaha isn't the best bike. Um, the Japanese bikes aren't the best bikes on the grid. They're just, they're bikes for one rider and that's it. They're not bikes for everyone. Um, so yeah, the next topic for MotoGP is Ken Kawachi. Uh, he wants to bring in the Michelin tech he had in Suzuki. Just one slight problem. Um, the Michelin tech, Christophe Robert, I'm going to assume he's French, uh, since it's Michelin. Uh, Christophe Robert is with Grissini. So it's going to be a little bit of an issue. This is coming from uh, GP1.com. Uh, let's just scroll down here, get away from the um, from the backstory. Uh, Last-minute request that wasn't particularly appreciated by the Grissini team where Robert was relocated after, after Suzuki's retirement. Uh, so he... Interesting. So let's go back a little bit more. Um, do, 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 do. So Honda has asked Michelin to switch the technician that was assigned to them. According to rumors reported by Motorsport.com, it was a move made by HRC's new tech, technical director, Ken Kawachi, who asked to be able to replace Clement Cordoliani with Christophe Robert. The French constructor's technician with whom the former Suzuki member, member had worked last year in the garage of the team from Hamamatsu. Uh, last minute request that wasn't particularly appreciated by the Grissini team. Um, no shit. Where Robert was relocated after Suzuki's retirement. That's why the switch in technicians could only take place in May during the Spanish GP in Jerez. When the Japanese constructor should also be receiving the new bike from Calix. Um, so obviously Ken Kawachi, <laughs> um, he's, he's having, he's having a tough go at it over at Honda. Um, and it sounds like, it, it sounds like Calix is going to, I covered this in the last episode, so I'm not going to go over it too much, but you know, Ken's doing everything he can to try to write this badly listing sinking ship that is, that is Honda. Um, and he's bringing in the people that he knows. And that's what happens with any, um, any front office person that comes into another team. Uh, we saw it with tech three in, um, 
fuck, I forget his name, but, or not Tech 3, KTM, uh, KTM Factory, where he went, um, fuck, I, I can't forget his name. You know what? Let's do some, let's do some research here. KTM MotoGP Team Boss. Let's see here. Francesco Guidotti. God damn, why didn't I, ugh. <laughs> you know when you feel like a dumbass because you shouldn't know the name? That's how I feel right now. So yeah, when Francesco Guidotti left Ducati for KTM, it wasn't that big of a surprise that Jack Miller went over with Guidotti. Um, and it, this goes in any profession, doesn't matter if it's MotoGP or in your local grocery store. New management means new. the new management wants, wants their people. Um, and obviously, no, I don't want to subscribe. Fuck off. Um, obviously, Ken has a, he's got a lot of things that he needs to figure out. And it helps when you have someone who you know, you trust, and and there's an understanding, you know, all that stuff. If you gel with someone, you want, you want them to help you figure, get out of this shit storm that is, that is Honda right now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if Christophe Robert um, is able to go over to Honda or if Grissini is going to um, resist that move and play a little and play a little politics or gamesmanship with with HRC. Um, so yeah, we're going to stay tuned on that. Um, so next up will be. The Formula One and the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> it that was um, that, that was that was an interesting race to say the least. Um, I'm glad to see Ferrari still hasn't figured the fuck out how to communicate with their with their with their drivers. <laughs> of course, I say that sarcastically, but Jesus Christ! I mean, Charles Leclerc has to feel beside himself. They just, you know, first it's this engine, this electronics control package that you only get two of a year. They've had to replace both in before and after one race. So he he was hit with a 10, a 10 grid place penalty bef- at the start of the second race of the whole, of this of the season. And then come to find out, or not come to find out, but they they radio him after Lewis Hamilton has already left the pits. And is in front of him that he needs to speed up during the safety car so he can keep Hamilton behind him. And for those that are watching the race and or in the replay, you'll see him throw up his hands when he's told the message because fucking Hamilton's already left the pits. And he's probably the most frustrated he's been with with Savi, um, at least that I can I can remember. You know, because all he all Savi's doing is saying, Okay, copy. You know, he's just just kind of monotone and just the standard reply. And Charles is getting pissed off, understandably, saying that no, this 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 the status quo response isn't good enough anymore. And you've got Fred Vasseur over there. You would think that by now he would at least there would at least be some changes. And there really there really isn't. There really isn't any changes. It, yes, the engine seems to be better, 
but there's also been reports of of Ferrari being one of the teams that's kind of tuned, that's kind of detuned their engines to preserve them. So has he really made a change? So the only the only change that he could have actually made with with this short of time span is personnel and at least trying to get them on the same page. Obviously, that's not happening because last weekend was a shit show. And today and yesterday, well, now it's probably yesterday for most of most of us. Actually, it is because it's Monday morning over here. Um, but yesterday it was it was the same thing. So what's Fred Vasseur doing? What what are we doing here? Because none of us are seeing it. All we're seeing is the beginnings of the beginning of the end of a relationship. That's what that's what I'm seeing. And I don't think there's anybody who can justifiably um blame Charles for wanting out of Ferrari. You know, I I talked about last week, but it's just so I'm not I'm not gonna go into not gonna go over it again, but it just sucks for Charles. It really does. It sucks for Charles. It, it it doesn't suck as much for Carlos because he's not really, or maybe it does, and we're just not getting those radio transmissions. Um, but also, Carlos is a lot more. He's he's more of a cool customer than than Charles, um, and that's probably has to deal with with where they're at in their F one careers. Charles is capable of winning a championship. Carlos maybe not. He's he's probably. He's more than capable of being a, a solid number two driver, but I'm not sure he's going to be capable of winning uh, a title. Uh, Charles still can, um, but even he has his own issues because we've seen him more than once, more than twice, um, fold under pressure and crash the car. But that's that's something that that's something that he he understands and he recognizes. And that's something that can be corrected, just like all these errors with strategy and radio calls and all, all that. All this stuff is easily fixable. It is so easy to fix. So why is, it, why is Ferrari have, having such an issue with the easiest fixes in the fucking world? I don't get it. You know, it would be one thing if it was... If it was their engine or their their MGUH, whatever the hell it is, their for the for the battery for the hybrid system, because that has to deal with engineering and shit that my brain would probably just absolutely implode on trying to think of. But when it's trying, when it's something so simple as getting a radio communication out to a driver ten seconds, fifteen seconds sooner, that's that simple. That should be simple, and it's not. Uh, but that's been that's been Ferrari's Achilles heel for for several years now. That's why Seb never won a title with them. That's why Alonso um, Alonso didn't didn't win a title with them. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think he has. Kimi Raikkonen somehow was able to win a title. Don't know how, but the the graveyard of Ferrari, the graveyard of once great F one drivers. Is is that Ferrari has signed is astronomical, and it's mind blowing, and 
it's frustrating to an extent, but it's great. It's great topics for discussion. Honestly, I'd rather have something a lot more complex and a lot more complex and inhuman to talk about because I hate seeing a talent like Charles Leclerc getting wasted by stupidity or carelessness or ignorance or whatever whatever it is. I hate seeing that. I'd rather have I'd rather talk about the Ferrari's engine troubles or aero troubles like with Mercedes. You know, their zero pod design is falling flat on their face. And now that they're in this cost cap era, they can't just throw money at the problem. They well, they're gonna throw money at the problem, but they just can't throw they they have to disperse it. You know, uh and that's and that's the next topic on this is is Mercedes and them looking like <laughs> it's it's interesting how the roles in how the roles have changed. Last year, AMR basically Mercedes and AMR have have flipped their flipped their positions in in F one this year. Last year, Aston Martin was was kind of like the what the fuck story of the season. And Mercedes was, and Mercedes was. Sorry, I'm kind of adjusting my computer desk here. Um, and Mercedes was was kind of this radical design that was still being developed, but we all kind of trusted Toto and Mercedes that, that they knew what they were doing. And now AMR's figured it out by basically copying Red Bull to an extent, um, signing Fernando Alonso. And Lance Stroll isn't doing too bad either with surgically repaired limbs. Um, and Mercedes over there is just getting absolutely left in the dust by Red Bulls when they go to pass them. So the thought I had, the thought I had watching the watching the race was is. Is Lewis Hamilton going to come back next year? I mean, how how old is he? Let's again, let's just Lewis. Let's just figure this figure this out here. Lewis Hamilton age. He is the guy is thirty eight years old. So he's no spring chicken anymore. Um, Fernando Alonso is showing that. He, Showing that you can still do this at forty, but the problem, the issue with the the big difference between Alonso and Hamilton right now is the team. AMR is going in in the right direction. Mercedes is trying to figure out what direction that is. Um. So at thirty eight years old, you know you want to win another title. You know you want to win again. But are you going to be able to win it with Mercedes? Because realistically, that's going to be the only team that's going to give you a shot. You're not going to go to Ferrari because you're just, you know, instead of just shooting yourself in the foot with a pistol, you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot with a damn shotgun and blow the whole damn foot off if you do that. Obviously, you're not going to go to Red Bull because... You know, the Verstappen team 
the Verstappen, the Verstappen, the Verstappen team would absolutely just light the whole factory on fire if, it, if there was even a thought from Helmut Marco of doing that. Um, Yas would, Yas would have the gasoline and he'd be freaking, and he'd have Max, he'd be forcing Max to light it. Um, so yeah, he's not going to go to, to, to Red Bull. He's not going to go to Aston Martin because Fernando's there. And as long as Lawrence has control of the team, Lance is going to be there. You know, this, is this his last year? You know, does does he want to be a part of a team that's that's going to take at least a year, maybe more, to figure out how to to write this ship, to make them competitive again? Because um, that's I. It's going to take him at least till the end of this season, at least. I'll and I'll I'll say it's going to take him. There. They're, they may be competitive in 2024, maybe, but they're done this year. I don't, I don't see how you can have this, this big of a deficit, um, not just in points, but also in, um, in, in design, research and development, all this stuff under cost cap. I don't see how they can turn it around. If they can, it'll be the biggest turnaround in, in probably in Formula One history um, that didn't involve any kind of fatality or major um, team shakeup or anything like that. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton retires at the end of this year. Um, and Charles comes knocking on the door with Mercedes. I, I talked about that last week, um, and especially with with Hamilton changing trainers. Now, obviously, some obviously something is going on in Hamilton's camp to where he's trying to, where he's trying to find the spark. He's, and I don't know. We'll have to see how this plays out. We'll see how how all this unfolds during the season. Um, but at thirty eight years of age. Man, it's it sucks getting old. Everything is tougher when you get old. Luckily, he's got two things on his side. He's got a ton of money that he can that he can use to keep himself in shape, both mentally and physically. And he's got Tuttle Wolf who will help him do that, however he can. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, and finally. Um, there was a big, there was a big, big, big controversy that happened over here in America in IMSA, um, last week. Um, just to give you a recap, 24, the 12 hours of Sebring, which is the second race in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, um, season, um, was was this weekend? I have I've only watched maybe four hours of it, so I'll have I'll have my post race thoughts next week. Uh, excuse me, but the major story was uh, Meyer Shank Racing, who won the twenty four hours of Daytona, 
was called out for cheating. Um, basically, what happened is that they that they they manipulated the the data for the tire pressure readings, and that's they they intentionally manipulated. It. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, they knew about it. The engineer who MSR Meyershank Racing um, has said was responsible has been indefinitely suspended by IMSA, and MSR has fired him. Um, but the here's my issue with this: MSR, to an extent, knew about this, and it wasn't they didn't self-report it, and IMSA didn't find out about it until. HPD, Honda Power uh, Development, found the discrepancy. So it was the it was the factory that saw this data and immediately um, reported it to IMSA. And that's how this whole thing unfolded. And Wayne Taylor had an interview with Sports Car 365 uh prior to 12 hours of Sebring kicking off and he gave he gave an honest the one thing I love about Wayne Taylor is that he's always been honest um he's always been honest and he he tells it like it is he's been in this business for a long 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 fucking time first as a race car driver and now as an owner um but he he basically said that the he basically said that if it was if if he was in Mike Shank's shoes, he would have told his drivers to hand back the Rolexes to the second place team, saying they deserved it. Um, which good on him. That's 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 an that's a level of ethics that unfortunately is isn't prevalent in racing anymore. Um, but the other thing that he said, and uh, Felipe Albuquerque, one of his drivers, corroborated. Granted, it was within the team, but he said that nobody, nobody from Meyer Shank, except for Jim Meyer, who's the CEO of Sirius XM, um, has apologized to him or anybody on his team. Which, to me, I have an issue with. Not just because. The team cheated, but also because someone there had to be more than just an engineer that knew what was going on. Um, for my American uh, listeners, this reminds me a lot of Tom Brady and the deflate the deflated footballs controversy. How he claimed that he didn't know that he didn't he didn't know that the footballs were deflated. He didn't feel any he didn't feel any difference. All the race car drivers, there's the race car drivers can tell when tire pressures are too low. You know, I've I've seen races where they they can tell that some that a tire was t- that a tire was tire pressure changed by two tenths of a of a psi. Um. So, if the drivers were to say I didn't feel anything, I'd be a little skeptical about that. You know, depending on depending on how low the tire pressures were or high in this, and there's a possibility that it could have been higher, but more than likely 
they set the tire pressures lower than what Michelin's, what Michelin and IMSA set as the minimum, the minimum and maximum tire pressures. Um, and none, nobody decided to apologize to Wayne Taylor, who fin- and his team finished second. That's that's the main issue I have, and not only that, but the fact that that IMSA decided that they're going to they're going to do everything they're going to they're going to take away everything but the but the race victory. They were fined um, two hundred points. They lost all the Endurance Cup um, points. Uh, with IMSA, you have the regular season, the WeatherTech uh, Sports Car Championship season, and then you have, um, I think it's the Michelin Endurance Cup Challenge uh, within that season. So you have four races, the 24 hours of Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, uh, six hours at the Glen, and the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta at the end of the season, which I think is 10 hours. Um, those are the endurance rounds. So IMSA took away 200 points and the endurance cup points, all of them. Um, they find them $50,000 on top of my MSR surrendering all the prize money. Uh, Mike Shank, who is the main team owner, uh, is on probation until the end of June of this year. Um, so they did everything. They did everything except take the two things that the team and the driver race for trophies and the watch and their names in their in in the record books so they're still going to be the 2023 24 hours a day Tona race winners their names their names going to be in there they're going to keep the Rolex watches they're going to keep the trophies they're going to keep all all the materialistic things well most of it um, they're going to keep that stuff, even though they cheated. That's the issue I have. And unfortunately, in any competitive sport you have, and especially in racing, NASCAR, I forget who coined the phrase, but there's the phrase where if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Any competitive sport, you're going to find that gray area and you're going to exploit the hell out of it. Racing is probably worse than any anything else because you have you have this these guidelines these rules these parameters and there's wiggle room in, within all of them so you know all the teams find that gray area but there's there's a there's a gentleman's agreement there's whatever you want to call it gentleman's agreement um, mutual understanding unwritten rule whatever the fuck you want to call it you you can there there's there's a gray area and then there's the edge of that gray area. Most teams don't go to the edge. Most teams. MSR decided to not just not just go past the gray area, but they went straight into the black area because of this. Um, and to. To, to let you know, to let me try to speak English here. <laughs> they they went past this because with with these tires and with Michelin, they basically have t- life telemetry. 
on those tires. They have they have TPMS, Tire Pressure Monitoring System. So Michelin, everyone, the team, Michelin, IMSA, they all see real live data so they're able to to see if the teams are abiding by the the minimum maximum tire pressures and also if they have the right tires on um because they can't they Michelin gives them tires specifically for each each size so you have a tire that that you have a tire that is marked that is supposed to go on the left front right rear uh, left front, right front, left rear, right rear. You can't interchange them. Even if it's accidental, that's a penalty. Intentional, that's a different story. But so what I'm getting at is that these tires are strictly monitored, very closely monitored. And you have this race engineer that was able to to come up with some sort of code, algorithm, whatever the fuck it is. He was able to come up with, with a way to trick the system into reporting an incorrect reading. This was as intentional as it got. It's not, oops, I'm sorry, I entered the wrong fucking number. No, this is, I know how to cheat the system. I'm going to do it. Now, you're going to try to tell me that Mike Shank, he didn't, he didn't float this idea past anybody? That's what you're going to try to tell me? I have a hard time believing it. Maybe he did it. There, there is a chance that he did. There is a chance that he took this upon himself and he did it and didn't tell anybody. But again, circling back to the drivers, you're, if, if that tire is one PSI, if all four of those tires are one pound lower than what they're supposed to be, then what they're, unless they were running with it basically from the time they, they, they unloaded, which is possible, but it's also not possible, if they unloaded and they were running this and they were doing this from from the very first practice session all the way up to the race, then yes, the drivers are going to not feel the difference, especially on Sebring, since that is such a rough fucking track. Um, but if they were if they were doing the right thing from during practice and qualifying, and then they decided to implement this this algorithm during the race, the drivers are going to notice the difference. And if that's the case, then, then that's a bigger issue because the drivers didn't say anything, which means that they knew it was wrong, but they decided, you know what? I care more about winning at any cost than winning than, than winning for the right cost or winning without a cost. That didn't sound right. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> you get what I'm getting at. Um so yeah, that's that's my thing. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm getting so worked up over this because this 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 kind of stuff pisses me off. It 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 really does. You know, like I said, if you're in the gray area, if if you find an exploitation like in Formula One with the double diffuser, the blown diffuser, all that stuff, if you find a, if you find an exploit in the rule, that's one thing. But when you see the rule and you basically look at it and go, fuck this, I don't like it, it's stupid, I want to win, and I'm going to find a way to break this rule and hopefully nobody finds out, that's what I have an issue with. When you intentionally break the rules, this whole, 
I'm not saying it should be a death penalty, but the fact that they were only penalized points and money, to me, that's not enough. And then also the fact that 99% of the team didn't apologize. That's the other thing I have an issue with. And Meyer Shank Racing did come out with a statement, but all they basically said was, we accept, we accept the IMSA's decision. We fired the guy who, who was responsible. Uh, we have no further comment this time. We're just going to move forward. That's it. They just acknowledge. Oh, and I'm sorry. They they did apologize, but they apologized to to IMSA and HPD. They didn't apologize to the competitors. They didn't apologize to Wayne Taylor Racing, who is in the same factory garage that they are in. They just apologized to the people who they they basically apologized to their bosses. That's all I did. They didn't apologize to anybody else. And that's it. We're moving. We're not going to talk about this anymore. Like that's 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 lower than snake shit. But it is what it is. Um, hopefully, I believe in karma, so karma's going to come back and bite them at some point. Um, and we'll talk, and I'll talk about it then. So. That is going to do it for this pot for this episode. Um, it is race week, ladies and gents. We got MotoGP. Ah! So we're gonna get ready for the memes. Get ready for get ready for the the shit show that is Yamaha and Honda, and get ready for the Ducati train. And I will catch you all. Next next week. Until then, have fun, be safe, and I'll catch you on the flip side.